Hello and welcome to Read All About It, the podcast where people talk about their favourite and not-so-favourite books. Join me, Paul Cuddihy, as I take each guest on the literary journey of their life, from their most cherished childhood read and a book they'd recommend to anyone, to the book they couldn't be paid to read again, and much more in between. So listen, enjoy, subscribe and spread the word about the Read All About It podcast. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Read All About It podcast and I'm delighted to be joined this time by journalist Nicola Smith. Nicola is a commercial journalist who works for Reach PLC who writes across a number of different platforms both print and online media including amongst others Glasgow Live. Nicola is also the books columnist for the Daily Record newspaper which makes her an ideal guest for the Read All About It podcast. Nicola thanks for joining us on the Read All About It podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Now, the first question that I want to ask is, I've always had this picture in my head of people who are the books editors for newspapers. <laughs> and I always think as a reader, it must be the dream job. If you come in every day and there's just piles of books waiting for you there to read, please tell me that is the case. It is the case. When <laughs> I first took the page over, it was the best. Every day is post day. So every day you end up getting about two or three books. So I loved it. I really enjoy it. Then when I'm working from home now, it's maybe like one a week, which isn't so fun. A lot of it is digital now, but it is really nice to come to work and sit at your desk. And there's a big pile of books on the envelope ready to burst open. It's like I Christmas mean, every day. Seeing that, obviously, once that initial novelty of, of having that position, is there then a pressure because, A, you're having to read books for your work, but then you have to choose which ones that you're going to read and review. And you say you might get a couple of dozen in the course of a week and you want to read them all, but there's only a limited space. It makes me really sad because I get so many really good titles and I read the press releases and I just think, oh, I just wish, but I don't have the time. So I, I get through a book a week. And if I, had, if I did that full time, if I read full time, I could easily do maybe like two or three a week. But there are so many titles that I wish I could review and I just have to really look through them and think what's going to catch me I quite like new authors as well so I quite like to put a little focus on them sometimes and it's just trying to find the one that not like I enjoy because there's no point reading a book you're not going to like I suppose but it's definitely trying to find one that readers will enjoy as well something that's really exciting because one of the interesting things I always remember speaking to a a guy called Martin Gregg who was a previous podcast guest he runs a, a sports publishing company and while you know, for example, they would they'd maybe look for reviews in traditional book type newspapers such as the Herald. He always said that if he could get a good feature or a good review in a paper at the Daily Record, they saw such a spike in sales because I think sometimes maybe traditionally book publishers dismiss the fact that people who are, are buying tabloid newspapers also read books, which, I, which <laughs> is such a logical thing, but it, it, yeah. it's strange, you know. I know, if you read a paper, you read a book. There's, I mean, there's a difference, obviously, because if, it's, if you're reading fiction, but... Yeah, I mean, a book's just a little bit longer than a newspaper, and just because someone's reading a bit of tabloid news doesn't mean they enjoy sitting down with a cup of tea or hot chocolate in a book later in the afternoon. And, and one other thing I was going to ask, just in terms of the book page, it's always on a Saturday in the kind of supplement. And the, I noticed your wee byline picture, and one of the one of the books that you're leaning on is a book called Thin Air by Lisa Gray, who yeah, is obviously uh-huh. a, a Scottish sports journalist. I'm trying to get her on the podcast. I've read that, and I've read the second one. I love the books. I think they're, they're brilliant. And I wonder, I'm, I, do, I don't know if you if you know Lisa just from your work as a, as a journalist. She used to sit opposite me in the Daily Record. So she was a commercial writer as well before she left to make her millions in the book world. So I'm quite close, which is good. And again, I wonder then if, because quite a lot, a lot of times journalists then go into to writing because, you know, you're, you've got that discipline of writing, discipline of deadlines, editing. And then when you see somebody like Lisa and how great and how well she's done, is that mm-hmm. you ever tempted yourself? 
Yeah, well, I've written one book, but it's just that classic case of no agents or publishers want it just now. But I mean, it's very, it's so unlikely to get your first book published. So I just need, I've got another two ideas and notes on my phone. So it's just a case of try it again, but it's totally different for me. Writing an article could be half an hour, 400 words, easy. But for a book, you're talking about 80,000 to 100,000 words. And when you've been writing all day for work, and then when you sit on the couch or sit at your dining room table and lift the laptop again to write, I can't bear to look at any more words anymore. But if you get a really good idea, sometimes when I was doing the book that I've written, I would be writing up until two o'clock in the morning because I just thought, oh my God, that's the best idea ever. And I just furiously <laughs> type and then having to get up five hours later to go to work and write again. It just depends if you really get a good hook or interesting idea that you're working on. So what, what we should agree just now is that once you become a best-selling author, you, you come back on the podcast again and, and tell us the story <laughs> of that. Yeah. Obviously, in, in terms of the podcast, it's all about, you know, talking about your favourite books and not so favourite books and, and taking you on this literary journey. And I suppose as, as somebody who obviously reads and, and reviews books as part of your work life, I'm guessing that, that books have always played a big part in your life. When I was young, my mum was always a big reader. She's big into sort of, not like self-help, but stress management and Reiki and all that kind of stuff. So she was always reading books based on that. Um, my dad was more of a newspaper reader, but my gran on my mum's side was a primary school teacher. So her and my grandpa, they just had just shelves and shelves and bookcases full of them. So much that you had to dust them. They were just littering the place and holding up vases and stuff like that. So everyone in my family was just a big reader. So you couldn't really escape it. And in terms of the first question that I always ask people, it's your favourite book from childhood and taking you right back. So the book that you've chosen is a book called The Ultimate Trainers by Paul Shipton. Yeah, my uncle Alistair, who lives down in Chester, he, for my brother and I's birthdays every year, he would put a book in with the card. So whenever you, you heard the thump coming through the letterbox, you knew that Uncle Alistair had sent you your birthday book. And that was one that he had sent me. And I remember just thinking it was just the best story I'd ever read. I remember thinking it was so good that I recommended that my gran read it. And she's in her 70s, I'm like, you have to read this, gran. It's the most sensational book in the world. <laughs> But I just, I loved it. It was to do with, there's the character, I think it's called Jake, and he finds this pair of brand new trainers in the bin, but the absolutely sparkling, beautiful brand new trainers. And he pulls them on and suddenly can run really fast. He does cross country, he's winning races finally. And then something happens along the way where pretty sure there's aliens or some kind of sea, like FBI agents come in and take the trainers away. And then there's biggest rival steals the trainers and runs as well. But I just remember thinking it was just the best book. The story just took me away it was brilliant and what age would you have been when you read that book must have been maybe eight or nine or maybe younger no it must have been like eight, eight or nine I'm thinking yeah because when I was just looking I wasn't familiar with the book but when I was just kind of checking up on it and it seems to be part of it was a thing called the treetop series which yeah uh -huh. I think there was like hundreds of them and they seem to be kind of obviously to, geared towards encouraging kids to read but with an, an educational and an entertainment value to them as well and obviously the fact that you still remember that book it's done its yeah. job uh, well, I was trying to look it up and it kept saying released in 2014. I thought there's no way that can be right because that was only <laughs> how many years ago, six years ago, but they must have re-released it with other I think, ones. But yeah, I think so it was originally yeah. 1997 it was first published. Oh, right. That would have been seven or eight then, yeah. Because I, again, I, and I, I wasn't familiar with him as an author, but I think he's made his name writing a lot of kids' books, but, you know, with that tying it in with that educational idea. But, I mean, I, I like that idea of, you know, one of your relatives and again, just as a kind of subtle way of encouraging you, you know, but equating yeah. it with like, birthdays and, you know, it becomes a big thing then. It's like a gift, but also it's something that you want to then read. 
Mm-hmm. It was nice because quite often family would maybe just give my mum money and then we'd go out and choose something in a toy shop. But that was definitely the highlight. And my uncle always signed it from himself and his dog and drew the paw print. So it was all these little things <laughs> that just kind of stuck with me. But it was always really good because I don't know how he just must have found a book that was thin enough to jam it in with an envelope because it didn't come separately. It came with the card. And as a kid, the card goes out the way didn't yeah. care about that it was just straight into the book but it was a really nice thing it did and it's something that I've remembered and it was something that I think is really nice maybe for me to start doing with younger relatives to just shove a book in with it rather than some plastic toy that's going to end up in the bin did you keep the the books that he, he sent year after yeah year? yeah they'll still all be at my mum's somewhere whenever she's shoved them in a box under the bed or something but yeah they'll definitely still be there so that's quite a nice thing as well, again, just to keep and I suppose, you know, you know, whenever you do look through them, it's kind of taking you back, those childhood memories. Yeah, uh-huh. I used to really love Jacqueline Wilson books as well. And I was so angry that I donated the Girls in Love series because I think something came up and I thought, oh, I really want to read that. So I know I would have got through it in a day. I was so upset that I donated them. Like, that's it. Never again. I'm never giving books away again. <laughs> My younger ones anyway. So I suppose that's always, and I'm guessing again, partly with the job that you do in terms of book reviewing, but I think anybody who loves books, it seems to be there's not always a never-ending, you know, appearance of books in your house and you're thinking, where am I going to put all these? And they're just more yeah. and more. And, and you just say, you're always loath to give any away. Mm-hmm. I know. If I lend them out to people, it's people that I know most of the time. So if I say, oh, I fancy reading that again, can you just lend me it back for five minutes? It's nice to sort of pass them on to charity shops as well. If there's a book that I really hated or I've just never got around to reading, then I'll pass it on. But if it's one that I love, then, you know, it's staying put. Because some books that I've got, you know, that way you read them and I love them. And, I, and I'm and i telling everybody, you need to read this, you need to read this. But at the same time, I'm loath to give them my copy just in case, <laughs> yeah. in case it doesn't come back to me. I know. I think support the author, buy a copy yourself. Don't take mine, don't be silly. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Now, in terms of taking you forward from the, your childhood book and then the next book, I've create, kind of framed it Teenage Student Formative Years. And the book that you've chosen is a book called Touching from a Distance by Deborah Curtis. So when I was about 17, my friend Emma and I, because we were too young to go to pubs or clubs or anything like that, we would go to the GFT on Saturdays and go see a film and then I don't know, wander about town and then go home later on. And I think we thought ourselves as quite cultured for being... So we're not quite 18, but we like to go and see foreign films and we like to go and see independent movies. And we go to the GFT because it's so much cooler than going to Cineworld or UGC, whatever it was at that time. And we went, she said that we should go see the film Control, which is about Joy Division and Ian Curtis, lead singer. And as soon as I saw that and I realised it was based on Deborah's book, I had to go and buy it and see how the film played out in comparison to the book. And that led to quite a serious addiction and obsession with Joy Division for a couple of years. And I think I just wanted to wear everything black. Well, still wearing black today as well. I just wanted to be so in touch with my emotions that everything is just so on the surface. And the music, I still love it to this day, but at the time, the story of his life and how tragic it was, I just thought, oh my God. I feel that in my bones. I just couldn't. I just, I loved it. And I read the book standing up on the train, going to college every morning and then back again when I was studying journalism. And I just remember thinking, I am so cool. I want everyone to see that I'm reading this book. And it, it really stuck with me. It's definitely something that it's a story. It's not a story. It's someone's life. And it just hit me right in the heart. But I loved it. I really enjoyed it. Because anytime, whenever I've interviewed anybody from the podcast, and there's always at least one book that the guest chooses, and I think I have to read that. And I, I wasn't, again, it was a, a title and an author I wasn't aware of. But as soon as I Googled it and I realised what it was, and I thought, I have to read that book because 
I mean, obviously I've seen the film, but I, I love the band. I mean, I remember back, I'm a wee bit older than you, so I remember <laughs> back in the in the early 80s and it was like, it was the kind of coolest people that liked Joy Division because it was just, yeah. I mean, it was only, I was at high school just a couple of years after Ian Curtis had taken his own life. And I just think they are, I mean, I think they're still an amazing band. I didn't realise even that the, the title is from a line from Transmission, one of their mm-hmm. songs. But I just thought that I have to read that. I'm going to have to read that book. As soon as we finish this podcast, I'm going to have to read this <laughs> yeah. book. Because the, the film is absolutely brilliant as well. Oh, it's fantastic. And the actor, I forgot his name, Sam, something. he is this fitting image of Ian Curtis in it. He just takes on the persona. And then when he does all the dance moves, the way he would, that Ian Curtis would do when they're performing their songs, yeah, I thought it was just incredible. And you could really... It brought the book, not the book, because obviously I saw the film first, but it brought Ian Curtis's life and Deborah as well, who had to live through that with her husband. It just seemed like, I can't believe someone lived this. Thank God she wrote this book. It just brought that all to life because a lot of fans of Joy Division maybe just saw it as the music and as soon as they were going to go into it, Ian Curtis unfortunately took his own life. But there was so much going on behind the scenes that was just so interesting to see the band develop that you wouldn't have known had it not been someone who lived with the lead singer. I also think as well, maybe from her point of view, because the band and then what happened to Dean Curtis, it's almost maybe, I wonder if it's a way of her reclaiming her part in her own life at that time, because she would have been yeah. integral to that, to, to obviously his life, but to the band as well, and then restating her life in terms of what she, what she was doing at that time. They were so young, I think they got married when they were about 17, 18 or something, so it was literally it was like her formative years as well. I actually worked beside a guy who saw Joy Division in Glasgow a couple of times, and I'm I'm so envy every time. I can't hear those stories. <laughs> every time, you know, every now and again, I just and I've asked him about it so many times, but I just love, especially if somebody younger comes into the office, and then we'll just be talking about music, and then I'll just say to him about having gone, and I'm just in awe that he'd actually seen them live i thought how, how cool is that i know i have feelings like that and people who got to see the beatles live as well i'm like i hate you <laughs> i don't need to hear that <laughs> can't stand that i mean it's interesting again in, in terms of it's maybe slightly different when it's a biography and it's turned into an autobiography turned into a film but you know there's always that debate over film versus book slightly different when it's a, a work of fiction into Mm-hmm. A film, but I think the the film itself, as I say, not having read the book, but the film itself is so brilliant in terms of even just the way it's shot, the, the style of it, and as you say the actors are so good. And I think, especially if you're fans of the the band, you're so much invested in it that that must have been quite a pressure on the director. And I think I think Deborah Curtis was one of the producers on it. Yeah, aha, uh-huh. she had a big part, which I think is so important because sometimes authors of books they don't have a lot of sway when it comes to films and you can almost tell that when the film is totally different from the books but you can tell that she definitely had input in it it was just so so close to the the story of their life together right well that's definitely one that i'm going to read (laughs) final question on that is do you have a favorite joy division song yes it's one that i think it's only like a really dodgy recording and it's ceremony but i think new order then took it and released it as their own song yeah that one just like oh Hits me right in my soul. Because <laughs> I always find that, I mean, I always think Love Will Tear Us Apart. It's, oh, God, the intro to that. It's one of those songs, I think, no matter who covers it, it's hard. It's one of those, there's few songs where it doesn't matter who covers it, it's such a brilliant song anyway. So mm-hmm. um, I love the scene in the film where they're recording it and they're using a, an aerosol can to do the ch Yeah. Sound. I'm like, oh, it's so good, it's so raw. <laughs> um, so we could have a separate podcast just talking about <laughs> Joy Division <laughs> songs. <laughs> yeah. So that's Touching From a Distance by Deborah Curtis, which I think is a big recommendation. But we then go on to a book that you would recommend to anyone, and that's a book called Toast by Nigel Slater. 
Yes, I adore Nigel Slater. I think he can do no wrong. Anything he touches, cooks, writes, presents, I just think I'm just sucked in. I just love him so much. So Toast is the biography of his life when he was young. So in his sort of pre-teen years through to maybe his early 20s. It was sort of following from his early life and then his mum passed away and his dad remarried. And it's all these different points in his life that are remembered through food. So he always remembers how his mum, whatever would happen, would burn toast in the morning, constantly, always burning their toast. And there's different scenes in the book where Nigel is desperate to have parmesan, wants to have spaghetti with a tomato sauce because Italian food is becoming all the rage. But his dad thinks it smells like sick, it smells disgusting, it all gets chucked away. <laughs> Hopefully you just waited and known that actually parmesan is one of the best cheeses. And it's just how Nigel has related different parts of his life to food. So when his mum passes away, and he just speaks and writes so eloquently that he said a marshmallow is the closest thing to a kiss. And there's parts in the book where his dad would leave two marshmallows on his bedside table when he was crying because of the death of his mum. So it was just so beautiful to then bring food into personal your personal experiences and how actually you're right and how it can just evoke feelings and to have that in a book I thought is just so powerful as well and he just writes so wonderfully because he's got an observer I call him in the observer talking about his food but you can just tell whenever he writes it it's just it's just beautiful just love it just love him anything he touches (laughs) incredible because I haven't I haven't read anything by him but I I think kind of what you were saying there that I suppose there's loads of people that maybe write about food but then also write about it in terms of trying to apply it to their life or their emotions or whatever but it's a skill for someone that can then elevate it to that point where i think it was also the book was turned into a film yes and and it's a play as well now so you know there there must be that there must just be some natural talent he's got that kind of elevates Mm -hmm. him above other people who write about food yeah and he's so calming as well that my husband and I, when we were first sort of dating, we would watch his early series on Channel 4, Simple Food or Simple Suppers or something like that. And even just listening to him speak, was just hypnotic. So I suppose he played a part in our relationship as well. But I just, I thought everything about Nigel Slater and the way he writes and the way he cooks is just, it's just great. And the fact he can put it into words without it being a horrible recipe or see when you go on these recipe blogs and it's someone that does a full spiel about why I don't know, scrambled eggs mean so much to them. But then when you read Nigel Slater's story of it, you think, oh my gosh, yes, you know what you're doing. <laughs> and I suppose once, I suppose it's like every writer, once, you, once you're convinced by them and once you're, you're hooked, then as you say, they can do no wrong after that. Yeah, uh-huh. I love him. Whenever there's, if he has a sort of couple of TV shows on for Christmas, I think, oh, I'm definitely going to record that and watch it. And then whenever there's an episode he does with Nigella, it's just gold dust the ultimate tv <laughs> cooking personality duo they're just unstoppable so was he a was he a chef or cook before he became a writer or is, is that is he kind of fallen into that as a result of writing about food yeah uh-huh so he has cooking shows and stuff like that and he and in the book toast it talks about when he went to catering college as well so he definitely started with food first and then just wrote the biography and obviously i mentioned it in a film you've mentioned it's turned into a play did you watch the film Yes, uh huh. Helena Bonham Carter plays his stepmom, and just the actors that are playing young Nigel are just so close to him as well. Because there's a couple of pictures in the book and the cover as well as him sitting at a, a dinner table. And yeah, it's just, I think I had to try and find it online because I couldn't find it anywhere. I need to see the play, but it was all stopped because of the pandemic. And then you think you could watch it online, but I missed out at the time. But I'd just, I'd love to see it again. Just seeing it brought to life. It's not quite the same as a book. There's a few wee bits missing, and there's just certain parts that. Nigel just writes so 
emotively that it just doesn't always quite come across on screen I sometimes think unless he was actually going to play himself yeah. at eight years old it's not going to be quite the same and is it a, a book obviously that's one you would recommend to anyone is it a book that you've read more than once or get you know dip back into yeah I have because it's quite a small book as well so you can just flick back to a little bit that you really enjoy there's the scene where he's at catering college and there's this really really amazing top end restaurant that you desperately wants to eat at so he saves all his money and goes with someone to have food and then the waiter comes over and says oh what would you like to order any panics and order steak tartare not realizing actually he's about to order raw meat to eat but it's just that way how you had to suffer through it and I just love little bits like that so I'll maybe dip back in to read a little section that just makes me laugh or I have to avoid the bits about his mum dying because it's just so devastating and tragic so that's the bit that I'll avoid reading again yeah, because it's too sad like skip past yeah that's a, that's a once you did that once then that's yeah, a, you, that's you enough. Know. <laughs> yeah. you're listening to the read all about it podcast uh, with me paul cuddy and my guest nicola smith nicola well we've gone from a book now that you would recommend to anyone and it's a book that you couldn't be paid to read again. And the book that you've chosen in this category is The Great Gatsby by F. Scott Fitzgerald. Yeah, I'm going to get so much hate for this. <laughs> Controversial. I know. I feel terrible, but it took me a long time to do it. A lot of people did it for their personal study in English in secondary school. And it was just, I think I did the prime of Miss Jean Brodie. And it was a book that I didn't really get around to reading until the Leonardo DiCaprio film was going to come out I thought right fine I'll read it I'll read it and it had been so overhyped and I was just I finished the book and I thought oh I didn't like that and I think it's one of these classics that falls into these if you haven't read these 200 classic books in your lifetime you're completely illiterate and you don't deserve to read lists <laughs> and you just think I hate the pressure of unless you've read all these titles that are hundreds of years old or over 80 years old back when back when people could write books these are the ones you should be reading all the time and I think the high pressure of having to enjoy a book like that and then you sit down and read it and think oh no I didn't really enjoy that and there's just some bits of it I just thought I don't believe that I just didn't like it because I'm not sure if it, that it plays into what you're saying about that idea of literary snobbery as well that sometimes and it's interesting I had Professor Willie Maley who teaches up at Glasgow University on as a guest who you know teaches all sorts of literature courses and it's his pet hate is literary snobbery because he said a book is is what you make of it and what you enjoy about it so whether it's yeah. a book that somebody thinks is a classic or a book that's just came out last week they equal they have equal merit and sometimes uh -huh. but then I suppose there's a wee worry when you read a book that everybody thinks is great and you and you're the one that goes mm, not for oh, me I don't like it <laughs> I know I was almost offended if someone would read my comic and go I didn't like that I'm like fair enough but then obviously I'm the same going back and saying that I didn't like The Great Gatsby I just think it was it was part of that there's like catching the rye in 1984 and you feel like if I don't read these books you I am not worthy of reading do you not like them either I never read those ones actually. <laughs> I think I've been scared <laughs> off by the Great Gatsby. I just, I don't know. I just felt it was quite, God, I just read it and I remember closing it over thinking, no, that hasn't changed me in any way. I've not felt anything. I didn't really even like the characters. Maybe that's the point of the book. And then when the film came out, I went to see it in 3D when I was visiting Chicago. And it was just mental because like the borders were coming out with all the sort of Art Deco style. But I just, I didn't enjoy the story. I didn't like the characters. Maybe that is the point. 
of the book, but I just couldn't get in touch with it. Well, what's interesting, because it's now, anything you read about it, and you're right, it's probably it's considered one of the, the greatest novels, certainly one of the greatest American novels ever written. It's just almost like that's accepted wisdom. But mm-hmm. if you, when I was just, you know, just doing some research on it before we did this podcast, and at the time when it was published, it got really mixed response. It wasn't, it wasn't an instant bestseller. And he, I think the, the success of the book was after he had died. And it kind of, for whatever reason, it became, I think, quite popular during the Second World War and then kind of grew from there. So actually the initial response was maybe more kind of in line maybe with, you know, with you reading it. And not everybody was, was that bowled over by it. It's funny, it's maybe one of those things that gradually builds. Maybe when, when I'm older, I'll appreciate it more. But no, it's just not, not the one. The one I, I've, I've occasionally, you'll sometimes dip into books that you, literary classics or books that you think you should read. So for example, during the lockdown, I read War and Peace. Now it took me <laughs> about two months of the lockdown. <laughs> yeah. It was actually really, in terms of the style of writing, it was easy to read. It just took, took me a long time. It was about 1,500 pages. But I had... I'd read, I'll never read it again, incidentally. Um, <laughs> yeah. The rest of your life to live, let alone a, a book exactly. that takes two months. But I'd read Crime and Punishment eventually a couple of years ago, and it was, again, one of those ones where people would say, oh, you have to read this, it's, a, it's amazing. So I knew somebody who, who reads it every year. It took me about four or five attempts, and then I got to the end of it, and it was kind of like your attitude to Great Gatsby. It was like, what was that at? <laughs> really? Everyone talks about this for this? Yeah, and that, but it's such a... That's, I think that's the beauty of the, the books. That's what I enjoy about doing this podcast is that, you know, there'll be somebody listening to this going, I can't believe you chose The Great Gatsby. But, <laughs> I know. you know, it's, it's such a, it's like everything. It's such a subjective thing. It's just all about your opinion and your taste. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah, I think I'd built it up so much. Again, me thinking I'm, well, because I was definitely younger, I was in my early 20s thinking I'm, I'm very cultured and I know about good books and I know literature. I go into shops every weekend. I used to go to FOP and buy all the, the fancy books I could pick up and then reading it and just being so disappointed and thinking oh no am I not cultured enough for this one but it's just a classic case of some people like these books and some people don't like these books and that's just the way it is absolutely in terms of your reading do you have do you have sort of set genres or, or types of books that you like to read or are you just kind of just whatever catches your eye and you'll just pick it up I am mad for a romantic comedy book or like a romance fiction big into that I love page two and all her stuff because it's all the sort of love story things but also there's quite sad dramatic parts in it but I do enjoy a good thriller and a good twist as well I love that especially like the stuff obviously from Lisa Gray and then stuff that's sort of related to that I just love the (gasps) no kind of thought halfway through a book that's the kind of stuff that I would go for and in terms of you know we spoke right at the start of you know your aspirations to write novels what kind of is it the same kind of books that you would you would like to write that you, you like to read yeah, it'd be romantic fiction because I love a, a good rom-com movie as well. And I've definitely got sort of idealistic visions of what, not like what a relationship would be. That's a stupid thing because relationships are very much real life. But from what I read in books and from the films I watched when I was younger, it definitely influences the sort of books that I would like to write about people finding long lost love and all that kind of stuff. Hook, line and sinker into those kind of stories. <laughs> you know, it's funny, it's not like, I don't know if it's a guilty secret. I, I maybe don't read a lot of those kind of books, but I do like rom-com films yeah um because there's always a kind of even though if you know exactly the arc of the story and what's going to happen that's that's sometimes i think the whole beauty of them Mm -hmm. i know they're safe almost when it when you're going to watch it you think this is going to end happily although some of them don't that's another thing is when like i've seen page two she's one of my favorite authors a lot of her books end realistically despite the fact that all these two people have found each other but sometimes it doesn't work out and sometimes they don't have to be together which i quite like that angle 
obviously I do like it when there's happily ever after, but realistically it's not always the case. Mm-hmm. That's always quite nice to read. And I, again, we were talking earlier on about you used to walk across from Lisa Gray, who's going on to write. You would have known her then when she was busy writing these books or, or maybe had chats with her about, you know, what you your ambitions were in terms of writing and she would have kind of mirrored that as well and told you. Yeah, so by the time I'd started, I think Thin Air was just about, it was about six months later, Thin Air was coming out. So it was all finished and she was doing the rewrites, not the rewrites, but the different sort of edits and stuff. But then I was working there when she wrote Bad Memory and you could tell that she was just exhausted with it because she'd be writing until crazy o'clock and then coming into work and doing that kind of stuff and then just learning about the actual book world of writing a book and going back to your editor and doing this and doing that and doing these changes and just oh everyone thinks it's so easy you write a book it goes in the shops and you make a fortune but it's just not the case (laughs) I know I'm always amazed when someone is a full-time author and it was just it was incredible that Lisa just her book just took off thin air was just a resounding success and she deserves every minute of it because she worked so hard on it but there's just some authors that are you read in the back of the book and it says so-and-so is a journalist writing for blah blah or is a freelance writer and or so-and-so is still teaching in schools it's just such an amazing thing for someone to be able to leave their not leave their career, leave their job that they were doing to make a career out of writing. And it was amazing to see Lisa get into the stage where she was so worried about handing in her notice, I remember, and it was just like, just do it. This is it. You're living your dream. And she is, really is living the dream. And I can't wait for her next book to come out. I think it's October, November. So I'll be very excited to get that one in. And in terms, you know, a lot of readers, and I was probably the same when I was just a wee wee boy and I was reading, and, you, you know, you're completely hooked on the reading aspect, but then there is that part of you that thinks... I'd love to do that. You know, that's that's yeah. the dream of being a writer. And is that something, again, when you started reading and, and got this love of reading that, that's kind of stayed with you, that that's always been there that you've thought, you know, I'd love to see my name, my book and on the bookshelves. And... Yeah, little parts of it. Like I used to always carry about a little notepad and make little ideas. And you look back and think, oh God, no one would want to read that rubbish. But I, I think even really when I was younger, I liked writing little bits and pieces. And I did it in, when we did English in school. But when I was a kid, I wanted to be a hairdresser. So writing wasn't really the number one. It wasn't until I was doing uh, English in secondary school. And not like it came easily, but it seemed to be like, oh, God, I can write and actually get decent grades for it. So at that point, I thought, all you can be is an English teacher. So I went to the careers advisor and she's like, oh, what about journalism? I'm like, oh, my God, what about journalism? So then sort of career and professional writing came along. But that is different from the books. Don't know if I always wanted to write a book, but I think it is a great accomplishment to be able to put down upwards of 50, 60,000 words into a coherent story. So we'll see if it pans out. I'm not, hold, not keeping my hopes up or anything like that because see, trying to find an agent it is just devastating when it doesn't happen. Yeah. So we'll see. Because I always think as well, the very fact that you've, that you've written a, a book, a manuscript, even if, if so far you haven't managed to find an agent or a publisher for it, I always think it kind of shows you, it shows you you can do it because... Yeah. As, you, as you say, I think it's one of those ones I think people always, you know, people always think there's maybe a book in them or, I, you know, I could write a book. But actually, it's not. It's that whole idea of the the 1% inspiration, 99% perspiration. It's all the, yeah. as you say, the, the late hours into the early morning because you've got another job. But I always remember the first time I finished the first draft of, of a novel, a full novel. And it was about five, it was like June and it was like five o'clock in the morning and it was like bright outside. Yeah. The, the euphoria of that was like, it's hard to describe. Mm-hmm. I know you put that final full stop and write the end you're like, oh! and you look at the word count you're like oh my god that's insane you think no way it's like when you're at uni you think oh god a 10,000 word dissertation that sounds hellish and then you write a book you think oh 
geez, oh, I've actually written something that actually makes a little bit of sense as a, in a story that isn't just a thousand words or yeah. one page. And I suppose the discipline of your work as well, that if you added up the amount of words that you're writing on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, that's a hell of a lot of, of writing you're doing. <laughs> yeah. I remember my husband was doing his dissertation for uni when he was uh, trained to be a graphic designer and they had to do this project. It was like, oh, it's two and a half thousand words. It's like, nothing. <laughs> two and a half thousand words and what? And you've got how long to do it? A couple of months? Like, oh, don't start. <laughs> yeah, just count up. You think, okay, well, if I've done maybe like four articles today in each, about 500 words, and you would think, Oh, well, then I wrote that a little bit there, and it all does add up. Right, so if so I could just put that into a book, into a story, it would be more worthwhile. And everybody's feeling sorry for your husband for getting no sympathy at all when he was writing his dissertation. <laughs> I know. And it was the way they would say, oh, can you help me with this? Oh, I'm not going anywhere near a dissertation. I can't write any of that anymore. In terms of the, the, the questions, we're on to the, the last question for the podcast, and that is either the last book you read, or the book that you're currently reading and the book that you've chosen is The Storm by Amanda Jennings. Yes, so that is my next column. So I write, I write my columns 10 days in advance. So this one, the book comes out on the 23rd of July and I have a note of when it will be going in. So go in the 18th of July, just before it's released. So this was about, let's see, the outside world, Hannah married her perfect man. Behind closed doors of their imposing home, it's a very different story. Nathan controls everything Hannah does. He chooses her clothes, checks her receipts, and keeps her passport locked away. But why does she let him? Oh, can't wait to find out why she does. I'm only a chapter or two in, but so far, Amanda's writing is really nice and really descriptive and not overly descriptive, which I sometimes find... Like maybe some authors are putting a lot behind descriptions to the point where like, I get it. There's a tree in the woods. I get it. Can we go on to the next part here? What I've found from Amanda's writing so far is it seems she's setting the scene without me having to be on top of her shoulders watching it as it happens and just to sort of fly in the wall, which is quite nice. I was glad that you chose not that specific book, but just a book that is just about to come out because I suppose it kind of it ties in with that, you know, the idea of what you're doing in terms of running you know books columnist for the daily record and you know when I was asking you at the start it's just one of those jobs I think all of us as readers would cover and I, I like the fact that you know it's a book that's so up to date and it's I suppose that again that's one of the things that you get to read it before the rest of us. It's quite nice yeah sometimes when the book comes in and my husband goes is that the cover I'm like this is a proof copy <laughs> this isn't the real cover this is so lucrative that I get to have a little peek at it before it becomes it actually goes out on shelf so it's quite nice I feel quite privileged to do that it's a nice part of the job again it's, it's like a page that you get in the newspaper and you know I've, I've got the the latest one here so you've got the kind of main review you've got a, a book that you recommend for kids a non-fiction book and then another couple but again the challenge I'm, I'm guessing is how do you manage to condense that into a page because I'm sure you would love much more space and to, to tell people yeah. about even more books that, that oh you've read. I know yeah I would love it and it's just trying to get because I've maybe got about 500, 600 words that I can fill, but see, trying not to ruin the entire story for people, not just pick out a bit from the first chapter, but out of the middle and bit out from the end and then just like, destroy the whole book for them. It's trying to let people see what this is like and how it made me feel. And then also trying not to get ahead of myself and pick out loads and loads of books that I haven't had a chance to read, which is quite sad as well, but also just getting, just trying to find books that people will like. And it's nice to have the sort of kids part as well, because obviously I was reading as a kid and, I had an, a reader got in touch on email asking for book recommendations for her daughter who is just sort of starting secondary school, first or second year. And it's like, what are the good books for her to start with? So it felt really nice for someone to come to me to ask about that. That's a responsibility as well. Cause you, <laughs> because if, cause if you choose the right books, you've got, you know, that, that can set somebody off in a kind of lifelong journey of reading. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, so obviously you cover the usual Harry Potter, maybe like the Hunger Games kind of stuff, but there was other books, Paper Towns, The Fault in Our Stars. I thought that that's a nice book for a young teen. I certainly love it. I ended up reading them when I was older by the time they were released, but I just thought they were really nice ones to start with. And there's yeah. other ones that are really good books that are about feminism and empowering young girls, which I think is really important when you're younger to realise that actually you don't have to listen to people that are saying, oh, girls don't do that, girls don't do that. Well, I read this book and it said I can do whatever I want. I thought that was quite a nice little angle to put on it as well. I suppose even even just your position, the fact that you are, you know, if somebody, you don't have to sit down and spell out to somebody like, like what you've done in terms of your career and you're now in a position where you're reviewing books for a national newspaper, that's that's an example as well, I suppose. That's quite nice. I never thought of it that way, yeah. You can put that under your byline for... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A good example for young women. <laughs> have you found, in, you know, when you've kind of started doing the, the book club page that even people you know, are they, are they looking for recommendations or do they then say to you, oh, you should read this? As... Yeah, quite a lot of people tell me what to read, but often it's a book that's been out for a couple of years and I'm like oh no I just sort of go for new releases but I quite like when my mum told me a story recently that one of her friends was saying oh my daughter um, she saw this book that was reviewed in the Daily Record and um, she was just trying to remember the name of it and someone's like that's Margaret's daughter and it was quite nice how it sort of played out like oh my god that's me people are reading this because somebody's just thinking oh I'm just writing it and then it's sent away to the editor and then no one else sees it but it's nice that someone comes back and says oh I really enjoyed that book that you recommended that I should read. Like, oh, you're welcome. <laughs> like, oh, thanks. But it goes back to what I was saying, as I say, the, the friend of mine who runs a publishing company, it's, you know, that, that profile that you get in a, a tabloid newspaper, and particularly, let's like, say, on a Saturday where people maybe get a wee bit more time to mm-hmm. sit with it, that, you know, particularly now that bookshops have reopened as well, I think it helps that get people back out. One thing I was going to ask, and, and funny, just the, the book review I've got here, the, the, the first line, it's the latest issue of the, the paper that says, have you ever got to the end of a book and yelled out, oh, come on. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. it, That's and, a, a knock at the door, isn't it, that one? But I, I always think that must be the challenge for a, a reviewer because obviously it's impossible to like everything, but then how do you put a constructive review? Because you can't just yeah. absolutely pan it. But... <laughs> I know. Yeah, I mean, there's, there are positives in everything. There's no way someone got a book published if they've got a crap book. There's no chance. But there are maybe some books that I just think like, oh, no, I'm not taking that. I will not. I refuse to understand <laughs> that that's how you wanted to end that book. Or sometimes it's just when you finish it and you think, oh, there's got to be more. And maybe they're like, no, we're not having them. There's not a second book. That's that. Just deal with it. And it sort of rips your heart in two. You're stuck with this hanging end of the story. But sometimes it's those twists that come out of nowhere. And you think, oh, it would be nice if I had a little bit of a clue. Or I was like, oh, that makes sense, of course, because they were behaving that way. And then they did that. And oh, it all comes together now. But sometimes it just pulls a rug out from Andy. And you think, what? When? How? How does this person behave this way? And the whole way through the book, they've been like that. So I, sometimes books just, not like they annoy me. But I suppose that's good, because I always remember the story that just punched me in the face out of nowhere. Because <laughs> I suppose ultimately your reaction is just that of a reader. The same as everybody else who's reading the book. Yeah. So. I'm not any more qualified than anyone else. I'm just reading the book and writing down what I think about it. Well, I have to say, as I say, I said to you at the start, I'm always envious of anyone who's working in, <laughs> in newspapers because I just, as I say, I just envisage that that desk with all the books, the new books piled up. And I just think it's for any reader, it must be what absolutely wonderful. It's really nice. It's funny when people come over to my desk, are oh, you building a fort? <laughs> because it's like sometimes <laughs> they go all the way up past my head and then in a couple of piles of books. But it's quite nice. Well, sadly, Nicola, we've come to the end of the podcast, but it's been really nice talking to you uh, about 
some of your favourite and not so favourite books. Thanks, it's been nice chatting to you as well. And of course, we will kind of keep an eye on uh, when the first Nicholas Smith book comes out. And I suppose with the, <laughs> yeah. with the corresponding romantic comedy film as well. <laughs> we'll see. If I get the film right sold, it'll be nice. Yeah, that's, that's the dream. But listen, thanks very much for joining me on the Read All About It podcast. No problem. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Read All About It podcast, and I'd love to hear what you thought about it. You can get in touch via Twitter at ReadAllAbout20, on Instagram at ReadAllAboutItPodcast, or you can send an email to ReadAllAboutIt at paulcuddehy.com. If you've enjoyed the podcast, subscribe, leave a review and spread the word. If you haven't enjoyed it, say nothing to anybody. But I do hope you can join me, Paul Cuddehy, next time on the Read All About It podcast. And in the meantime, keep reading.